beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the honor of our name is something that most, if not all of us, care about. Our names, you see, are tied to our persons, to, to who we are, and we want to be thought of and spoken of and to and treated with respect, with honor. Even, even children do. Uh, what happens, children, when somebody, maybe a, a brother or a sister or someone else accuses you to other people of doing something that you didn't do? Maybe, maybe they say that you lied about something or something else, but it was something you didn't do. What happens? You tend to get upset, don't you? Because they're slandering your name. And you get upset because you care about the honor of your name. Those of you who are business people, you know how important the honor of your name is, not just personally, but also for your business. Because if your name is dishonored, your business will suffer. And so we, we all care about the honor of our name. But what about God's name? Do we care about the honor of His name? How do we think of Him? How do we speak of Him? How do we speak to Him? How do we treat Him? The unbelieving and ungodly world around us doesn't care much at all about God's name. It doesn't think much of God, the God of the Bible, at all. And, and that's really just putting it mildly. But what about the church? What, what about God's covenant people? What about the people whom God has called out of this world and, and to whom he has said, I will be thy God? In other words, what about us? What about me? What about you? Do we care about the honor of God's name? You might be tempted to think, well, of course we do. After all, we attend church every Sunday. Maybe uh, many of us even belong to the church, at least outwardly, and, and maybe we even attend the Lord's Supper. But you see, that doesn't necessarily mean that we care about the honor of God's name. It could be that we do, but it could also be that we just care about the honor of our own name. The truth is that unless we have been born again and turned from sin to Jesus Christ in faith as, your only, as our only hope of salvation, to put it bluntly, unless that has happened, we don't care about the honor of God's name. Because we can't. Not truly. It's only when we, by grace, have been born again by the Holy Spirit and drawn and brought in faith to Jesus Christ for our salvation that we begin to care about the honor of God's name. And yet even then, we don't care about it perfectly. We need to grow in our care for the honor of God's name. Because you see, honoring His name is not an optional add-on to the Christian life. Third commandment makes that clear. In the last few weeks, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments and what God requires 
in them. But, but what does he require in the third commandment? Listen again to the words of Exodus 20, verse 7, where we have that commandment. It says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. This commandment, congregation, tells us, doesn't it, that the Lord cares very much about the honor of his name. Because his name is, is tied to his person. In fact, it is his person. It's a revelation of himself. It's who he is. Remember what we read in Exodus 34, when the Lord passed by before Moses and then he proclaimed his name. What did he proclaim? He proclaimed his character. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth and so on. The point is, his name reflects and refers to his character, his reputation. And that's why he cares about it. It's who he is. That's why he forbids taking his name in vain. He wants us, he requires us to honor his name. That's what we hope to see with God's help as we look at this commandment, not only in connection with the biblical teaching, of Lord's Day 36 and 37, but also in light of the Lord's Supper next week and our calling to examine ourselves. Our theme is then is the third commandment requires our honor of God's name. We'll see, first of all, the abuse it's opposed to. The abuse it's opposed to. The third commandment forbids taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. What does that mean? That means taking God's name and, and treating it lightly, treating it carelessly, as if it's, it's not very important. But, but how might we do that? How might we abuse? How might we blaspheme? How, we, how might we insult the name of God? Well, one way is by ourselves profaning, by ourselves defiling and misusing God's name, treating it as common, as opposed to holy. The most obvious way, of course, we might do that is by referring to him in an expression of anger or surprise. Like maybe when you're at work and you're, you're, you're using a hammer and you hit the wrong nail and, and, and you say something that either explicitly or implicitly involves the name of God. Hopefully we don't do that, but it can happen easier than we think because we live in a world where people say those kind of things all the time. And it can be so easy to become desensitized and used to it. And so we need to guard ourselves against this. Because using God's name that way is taking it in vain. It's treating it like a common thing. It's, it's really like dragging it through the mud. And when you drag the name of God through the mud, through the mud you're essentially dragging the almighty and most holy God himself through the mud. But we can profane God's name in, in other ways too, sometimes less obvious ways. Sometimes we have to swear an oath. Sometimes we have to call God to witness that we are speaking the truth or, or that we will do what we promise. And that itself is not necessarily taking God's name in vain. We know that from many places in Scripture, but also from Matthew 26. When Jesus was arrested and tried before the Sanhedrin, what did he do? He, he testified under oath. 
In Matthew 26, verse 63, the high priest said to Jesus, I adjure thee, I put you under oath by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And what did Jesus do? He didn't refuse to answer. He said, thou hast said. So swearing an oath isn't always, abuse, isn't always abusing God's name. But when we swear by God to tell the truth and then intentionally lie, that's abusing God's name. It's what we call perjury. When we swear by God to do something and then go and willfully break that promise, that's abusing God's name. That's one reason, by the way, why marriage vows are so serious. Maybe they cannot technically be called an oath, but you do, when you, when you say your vows, you do promise before God. You call God to witness that you will love and be faithful to your spouse for life. When we swear an oath, without good reason, just because that too is abusing, profaning, defiling the name of God, is treating it as a common thing. Or when we make an oath or a promise and we have our, our fingers crossed, or like the Pharisees in Matthew 5, swear by something other than God and think that somehow that excuses us from doing what we said under oath, even that is abusing God's name. Oh, maybe you're thinking, well, come on, pastor, we haven't done that. I mean, who of us goes around swearing oaths all the time? Well, maybe, maybe none of us. But it doesn't mean that we haven't profaned the name of God. Because here's the thing. God's people are called to live as if they are always under oath. They are called to be people of their word, people who speak the truth, people who keep their promises, people who do what they say even when they don't swear an oath. And that's what both Matthew 5 verse 37 and James 5 verse 12 teach us. They teach us to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Not doing that. Not telling the truth, not being people of our word is just as much dragging God's name through the mud as using it as a, using his name as a swear word. How come? You think that's a little extreme? No, it's not, because as God's people, as his church, we are called by the name of God. And that means that we always bear his name, we always carry his name, whether we realize it or not. We bear the name of God who cannot lie, who always speaks truth, who always keeps his word. And so when we, as the people of God and as the church of God, knowingly and willfully lie or break our promises, we're saying this is who God is. We're saying he is both a liar and a promise breaker. We're saying you can't trust God. And that's not just treating God's name as a common thing. It's treating it as worse. It's treating it like dirt, like dust. Have you ever done that? 
Have you ever intentionally and willfully lied or intentionally and willfully broken a promise? Maybe it was to get yourself out of trouble. Or maybe it was to help that, make that business deal happen. It can be so easily easy to rationalize and to make excuses for this. It's the world we live in. And that's true, but we are not to be like the world. We are called by the name of God. We are members of God's church. And if we have intentionally lied, intentionally lied or broken a promise, we have profaned God's name. We have. And we need to repent. And let me just say at this point that most of this, most of the sermon will be on this first point. So don't be alarmed if you think it's, the first point's taking so long. But we need to repent, you see, because if we don't repent of sin, whether it's not just this sin, but any sin, we are only profaning the name of God even more. Because God is holy, and He cannot tolerate sin. And that's what Leviticus 22, verses 1 through 9, which we read earlier, is all about. In the Old Testament, there were certain things that made you ritually, ceremonially unclean. Things like leprosy, or, or things like touching a, a dead body. And in Leviticus 22, God says that priests who became unclean that way, they were not allowed to eat of the holy things, the, the sacrifices that, that Israel brought. And Leviticus 22 verse 6 says, The soul which has touched any such shall be unclean until evening, and shall not eat of the holy things unless he wash his flesh with water. And so if a priest would eat of the holy things without doing that, Without being cleansed, verse 2 says, Leviticus 22 verse 2 says that he would be profaning God's holy name. Now what is, what's that teaching? What does that have to do with us? Well, uncleanness, congregation, is a picture of sin. And so this passage is teaching us that when we live in unrepentant sin, and at the same time do holy things, like worshiping God or going to the Lord's Supper, we are profaning the name of God. And that's why it's so important to examine ourselves before coming to the table. If we are willfully and, or knowingly tolerating or coddling any sin in our lives and do not repent, we should not, we must not come to the Lord's Supper. Because eating and drinking at the Lord's Supper when we are unclean, when we are living in unrepentant sin, is profaning the name of the Lord. And that's not honoring God's name. That's taking His name in vain. But profaning His name is not the only way we can take His name in vain. We can also do it by neglecting His name. How can we neglect God's name? Well, one way is by acting as if nothing's wrong. Or going, just going along with it when others profane God's name in the ways that we just mentioned or in other ways. The Catechism says that the third commandment requires that not only by cursing or perjury, but also rash swearing, uh, we must not profane or abuse the name of God, nor by silence or connivance be partakers of these horrible sins in others. You see, when we love God, when we love God, we'll care about His name. And that will mean defending it when others profane it. I know this can be hard. I know, I've been there. I've worked in construction. There's profanity everywhere. 
And sometimes we, we try to weasel our way out of this with a, a kind of a false humility. We say, well, I, I, don't, I don't want to judge, you know. And the real reason is that we're actually just afraid. Of course, we do need to be wise. We need to be humble. But the point is that if we act as if it's nothing, when others profane the name of God, then we are just as guilty as that. Do we have reason to search ourselves here? What about our entertainment? Do we allow movies or music or video games or books that profane the name of God? Well, maybe you're thinking that's a little extreme. I mean, then we can't do anything. Maybe that's true. But I guess then the question becomes, what matters more? Our entertainment? Or the honor of God's name? We can neglect God's name by acting as if it's nothing. When others profane it, but we can do it in other ways too. It, it can be tempting, in fact, for us to think that since living in sin as a Christian is profaning God's name, then we're safer to just not be a Christian. We're safer to just not confess the Lord. We're safer to not attend the Lord's Supper. But is it? Is that safer? Yes, confessing faith in the Lord falsely or coming to the Lord's Supper unworthily or carelessly apart from repentance and faith is taking God's name in vain and we should never do that. But when you refuse to believe and confess faith in the Lord, isn't that also in a way taking God's name in vain? Isn't it treating it as worthless? When you're a confessing Christian, isn't continually and consistently avoiding or neglecting the Lord's Supper doing the same thing? Maybe you think, Pastor, that's a bit harsh. That's not why I stay away. I stay away from the Lord's Supper because I'm, I don't think I'm worthy. I know. I understand. And I don't mean to be harsh, nor am I saying that anyone and everyone should just always come. But let me ask you this, if that's you. Who is the Lord's Supper about? Is it about you? Is it about your worthiness? Is it about your righteousness and your sacrifice? Or is it about Christ and his worthiness and his righteousness and his sacrifice? you know the answer. And what does it mean? What does it mean that you are doing then when you consistently avoid, neglect the Lord's table? Are you really honoring God's name more by doing that? I'm not saying you should just come automatically or carelessly. That's not what it means, but it means that you should examine yourself and so come to the table in true repentance and faith, not as someone who is worthy in yourself, but as someone who is sorrowing for your sins, who is finding your refuge in Jesus Christ and His blood and His righteousness and seeking to grow, wanting to grow in faith and in holiness because that's what the third commandment requires. It requires our honor of the name of God and that means not neglecting it 
But to use the words of the Catechism again, using the holy name of God no otherwise than with fear and reverence, so that he might be rightly confessed and worshipped by us and be glorified in all our words and works. Well, there are many more ways we can abuse God's name, but probably enough have been said that all of us should feel, should feel convicted in some way. But maybe you're wondering by this point, is it really that big a deal? But yes, it is. And that brings us to our second point, the warning it pronounces. Listen again to what the Lord says in our text, Exodus 20, verse 7. <clears throat> he says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. That's quite a warning, isn't it? That's serious. That means that when we don't honor the name of God, when we take it in vain, He counts us guilty. How important it is to realize that. We can, because it's so easy for us to think that because uh, you know, it doesn't land us in jail, taking God's name in vain doesn't land us in jail. It's, it's not that serious. It's not like murder or something like that. But the Lord's warning shows us here that it is serious. It's not something the Lord can just excuse. Taking the Lord's name in vain makes us guilty before the almighty and holy God, the one who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. What a warning that is. And how important and urgent again in light of this warning that we examine ourselves before coming to the Lord's Supper that we humbly prayer and prayerfully search our hearts and our lives, that whether we, by grace, are living in true repentance and faith. Because to come to the Lord's Supper when you're not living that way, when you're living in sin, and when you're living in unbelief, either in your life or in your heart, is to make yourself guilty in the sight of God. And that's no light thing. God's Word makes that crystal clear. It's no light thing when the Lord holds someone guilty for taking his name in vain. You think about Leviticus 22, that passage that we read, what would happen if the priest did profane God's name? What, if, what would happen if he did eat of the holy things while he was unclean? Well, verse 9 tells us he would die. That's what it says. It says, They shall therefore keep mine ordinance, lest they bear sin for it, and die therefore if they profane it. I, the Lord, do sanctify them. Or you can think about what happened in Leviticus 24, verses 10 through 23. A man there who had an Egyptian father and an Israelite mother, he blasphemed. He insulted the name of the Lord by cursing while he was fighting with an Israelite man. And, and so some others heard him and, and, and they, they basically put him in prison until they knew what the Lord wanted them to do with him. And so what did the Lord tell them? Well, if you have your Bibles open, you can look at Leviticus 22 verse, or 24 rather, verse, uh, verse 14, I believe. This is what the Lord said. He said, bring forth him that is cursed without the camp, and let all that heard him lay their hands upon his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And that, and that wasn't just to be a one-time punishment, just a sort of lesson to teach the seriousness of this. Because then in the very next verse, God tells Moses to speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. And he that blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall certainly stone him, as well the stranger, 
as he that is born in the land, when he blasphemes the name of the Lord, shall be put to death. Taking God's name in vain is a serious thing. Not just in the Old Testament, but also in the New. Think about what Ananias and Sapphira did in Acts 5. And what happened to them? They sold some property, took the money to the apostles to give to the people in need. Nothing wrong with that. Except that they said they were giving all the money when they were not. And that was, in Peter's words, lying to God, lying to the Holy Spirit. That's a form of profaning, despising his name. And what happened to them? They died on the spot. Or you can think about the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11 who ate and drank at the Lord's Supper unworthily or carelessly. What does Paul say happened to them as a result? Many of them got sick and even died. That doesn't mean the Lord always does that, but it does mean He can. And it does mean that the honor of His name is something we should care deeply about. Maybe you think that's a little over the top. Well, who are we to say to that to God? Besides that, you see, dishonoring, profaning God's name is essentially like spitting in his face. It's like spitting in his face. When you take God's name in vain, you see, you, you automatically break the first and the second commandments too. And that's why, that's why answer 100 in the catechism says that there is no sin greater or more provoking to God than the profaning of his name. That's why we should be diligent, not only to guard ourselves against this sin, but also to do as much as possible to keep others from it. But maybe you're thinking, well, I've broken this commandment. I've broken this commandment more than once. Who of us hasn't? Does this warning mean there is no hope? Does it mean that if I haven't always honored God's name perfectly, I'm going to hell, that I can't be saved? No, it does not mean that. And that brings us to our third point yet. The Savior this commandment magnifies. Because remember here what the name of the Lord is. It's His character. It's who He is. But who is He? Again, remember Exodus 34. What the Lord said when He proclaimed His name to Moses. He said, He is the Lord, the Lord God. Merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's who he is. Yes, he's also just. He will by no means clear the guilty, it goes on to say, and, and so on. But the emphasis is on his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness and his forgiveness of all kinds of sin. That's his character. That's his name. And where has he revealed that name most clearly? Where? In the person of his Son made flesh in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Christ reveals who God is. You know, John 17, the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus, when the Lord Jesus is praying there to his Father for his people, two times he refers to himself as revealing God's name. In John 17, verse 6, 
He says, I have manifested, I have made known thy name. And in verse 26, at the end of his prayer, he says, And I have declared, I, I declared unto them thy name, and will declare it. And so Christ reveals to us the name of God, the character of God, his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. How so? How so? By his living a perfect life. A life in which he never once for a single moment took God's name in vain, but honored it always, perfectly. And yet dying, dying as if he had not honored the name of God. Dying as if he had taken God's name in vain. Dying under the wrath of God so that sinners like you and like me might be forgiven and might be justified, might be declared not guilty, but righteous through faith in Him, so that sinners like you and like me might be cleansed from all of our sins by His blood. And you ask me, even sins against the third commandment? Absolutely. How do I know? Well, because I know at least two men in the New Testament who were guilty of breaking this commandment, and yet were forgiven and saved. Maybe children, you can guess who they were. They both start with the letter P. One of them was Peter. Remember how he denied that he knew the Lord three times? The third time he even cursed and swore that he didn't know him. He took God's name in vain. But what happened? He was brought to repentance, wasn't he? He was forgiven, wasn't he? He was restored, wasn't he? And he was even used mightily as a preacher of the gospel. Who do you think the other one was? Paul. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1 that he was a blasphemer. Yet he obtained mercy. God saved him. And that wasn't just a one-off. No, because he goes on to say, as a pattern for all those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. God saved him. Christ died for the sins against the third commandment. And that means there is hope. If we confess our sins, trusting in Jesus, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, including the unrighteousness that we have, we have brought on ourselves in relation to this commandment. And so don't go away from, from, from here thinking that the Lord's Supper is off limits if you have broken this commandment. It is if you don't repent. And if you don't look to Christ, that only name under heaven whereby we must be saved. But if you are looking to Him in repentance and faith, if you are in Christ, then you are forgiven. And you are righteous before Him. And then He, 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 he invites such people to come to the Lord's Supper. Even, even people who have broken this commandment. In fact, in fact, you know, the way, because we can struggle even as Christians, the way to grow, the way to grow in honoring God's name is, is really to come to the Lord's Supper. It's to come. It's to eat and to drink. Because it's there that we see again how excellent how glorious, how great the name of the Lord is. And that's what, what the Lord uses, you see, to help us to grow in honoring His name. 
So may God help us and then bless us in this week of preparation that we may so come looking to Jesus Christ. Amen. Father in heaven, how excellent, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. We, we do not even, we say those words, O oh Lord, but we haven't even seen all of it. In a sense, we can say with the queen of Sheba, how she spoke of Solomon's wealth, we can say this of the Lord's name the half. We haven't even seen a half. And though it's revealed to us in your word, O oh Lord, and so much is gloriously revealed, there's so much more we need to learn. And, and in a sense, Lord, we will never see that fullness of glory until we are in your presence and in the new creation and we see, we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and we look upon him with our eyes. Lord, we pray that you would give us in the meantime grace to grow in honoring God's name and grant us, O oh Lord, to be, to be zealous for your honor. Give us, as we hope to sing in a moment, give us that single eye, thy name to glorify because you are worthy of all honor and all glory and all praise. Help us in this week. Help us, O oh Lord, to examine ourselves, to take the Lord's Supper seriously, and to come not carelessly, but humbly, not trusting in anything in ourselves, because we can never come in that way, but trusting in your Son, Jesus Christ alone, and his finished work. But we thank you for what you have done. And we pray that you would bless us in this day further. Bless the catechism and Sunday school classes. Bless the prayer meeting uh, afterwards as well. And bless our fellowship, Lord, that it would be to your glory and to your honor that also in our conversations what would be most, uh, most important to us is the honor, the honor and the glory of your name. So help us, Lord. Give us your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs>